Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our twice-weekly Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic. I am Max Boltman, with me as always is Prashant Iyer, and I am recording today from sunny Detroit, Michigan, which I recently learned over the weekend in the opinion of the internet, is apparently uh, the favored city of the NHL, Prashant. Did you hear the news? Yeah, and I mean, it's uh, it's finally time. It's been a really long time. You know, the Red Wings have been robbed for years, uh, you know, from changing the Stanley Cup final schedule in 2009 to, uh, you know, deciding that we're not going to apply normal suspension rules to guys named Chris Pronger when they should be applied. So, you know, all that being said, I think it's about time Detroit gets some preferential treatment here. I just think it's hilarious. I'm not saying that I don't understand the the frustration people have in in a team as bad as Detroit, um, ultimately going to get their reward enhanced this year for being that bad. But I'm never, it never ceases to amaze me what people are willing to chalk up to like preferential treatment or conspiracy. I mean, even those situations you're talking about, like I am always of the mind that the the odds that the league is truly trying to uh, play favorites here are, you know, in, in those instances or in this instance, just don't make a whole lot of sense. I think it's a lot easier explained by the fact that inconsistent decision-making is uh, very much part of the human experience. I mean, that's, that's exactly it. And I mean, we've been like, Detroit has not gotten any preferential treatment. This is not preferential treatment for the Detroit Red Wings. And, and really over the last 30 years, Detroit has done a large part in keeping the NHL relevant during a lot of the dead puck era. So, you know, if you want to say that this is just a thank you for that, I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. But ultimately this is, you know, it, it's it's an interesting situation because, right, Steve Eisenman has already come out saying it doesn't make a lot of sense. A lot of other NHL GMs have come out saying a lot of it doesn't make a lot of sense. You and I have said it doesn't really make a lot of sense given that, you know, holding the draft prior to the conclusion of the season means you're going to have to adjust how the draft's done. But if the league has truly decided they're going to move in that direction and they want to, you know, adjust – the draft because they feel the need to, to have this draft, which again, that's an entirely separate conversation. Then I think these rules are about as fair as you can get. We probably should uh, rewind just one second to make sure everyone knows what we're talking about here. I think we've discussed it on previous podcasts, but there certainly seems to be a little bit of momentum behind this idea for an early June NHL draft that as a result of the situation uh, that we're in uh, as a, as a, planet in in the uncertainty everybody's in as to whether there will even be an NHL uh, playoffs on a smaller level. Um, The lottery rules are are being considered to be amended so that teams can only move up a maximum of four spots uh, that obviously would, uh, and there's only going to be one kind of lottery drawing. And obviously both of those things are very advantageous to the Detroit Red Wings as the, the, the lowest place team in the league um, they're going to have the best lottery odds to win and they're going to be able to fall no later than second uh, there was quite a bit of frustration I think as that reality set in with people around the league of, of how good a situation Detroit was going to be in from a draft position uh, as a result of that but it did make me wonder is there a single team in the league that could catch a break like that and it wouldn't draw that level of flack you know what I mean no, I mean, that's the thing. Imagine the uproar if we're talking about Toronto in this position right now. Like, they, all of hockey would be melting down if Toronto was in the position of getting this benefit. Um, there would be a loads more of this conspiracy talk. Regardless of whatever team was in this position, you know, you kind of have to think about what's the, the best way to go about it. And if you are absolute, and if you have made the decision to hold the draft ahead of the conclusion of the regular season, then there's simply, you know, 
as you and I talked about it, there are teams that would get screwed uh, by potentially not being able to participate in the lottery and then missing out on the playoffs. Uh, so this is one way where you're just going to say, all right, we're going to draw the lines in the sand here. We're going to let these teams, uh, you know, potentially play in the draft and we'll have to see how that influences how the NHL decides to proceed if they do end up concluding their regular season or not. But at the end of the day, I don't think that there's a single team you could put in there and not have this level of, of conspiracy kind of theorizing going on. That being said, I just, I don't see a huge issue if you've made the decision to hold the draft early. Yeah. And we talked in a previous episode. I thought it, I mean, like I said, I thought it was silly to be worrying a whole lot about whether or not a playoff team could, or, or sorry, a lottery team could eventually go on to make the playoffs and then win the cup. Um, that ostensibly is the reason that this is going to come into play. And so like, I agree that, that it's it's a silly situation for the league to be worried about that. If, if number one, it seems like a long shot. Number two, there's going to be four teams that have a chance to prevent it from happening if they don't want, you know, that, that outcome to play out. But if the league is deciding that that's going to be a primary concern, uh, this is going to be the advantage. And, and you're basically saying that you want the bad teams to get the the breaks and not good teams. Well, this is what that looks like. So I agree. It's silly, but that like, you can only pick one of those two priorities. Yeah. I mean, it, all of this is just completely silly because in, in all honesty, I think that the smartest thing here right now is you kind of trust your experts. You figure out what the right thing is to do here. There's, I, I don't really understand the need for the league to try and insert themselves or, or try and stay relevant almost by having some sort of event. I don't know if the success of the NFL draft is what's influencing this. If they're worried about, you know, the Fox sports deal, uh, news that came out where there's a lot of uh, teams, I believe there's 12 NHL teams, including the Detroit Red Wings that have a contract with, with Fox Sports that kind of mandates conclusion of the regular season in order to you know get the money and actually have the contract paid out and have significant ramifications if that's not fulfilled. I don't know what it is, but the fact that the league is, is so worked up about this and is now deciding to hold the draft here, this just seems like a silly thing to get really annoyed about. It is, but that said, I'm guessing our listenership does not care one bit about who's mad because if this does come to fruition and that could be finalized potentially by the time you're listening to this show, depending on when you're hearing it, um, it's going to be a substantial draft win for the Red Wings. Now there are drawbacks. I think the ability, the way that the trades may or may not be affected uh, in this, both trades that have already occurred and trades that could occur and typically occur at the draft. Those are things that, you know, the Red Wings being a team in the position they're in, um, they could stand to, to potentially make moves at a draft that, that now may be tougher to execute with kind of a season still hanging in the balance. But even with that out there, if the Red Wings are going to guarantee themselves a top two pick, I'm guessing 100% of our listeners would be stoked about that. Yeah, I mean, and, and the other thing we should also insert here is a lot of people have been talking about how this is uh, very much uh, overwhelmingly favorable for Detroit. This is also overwhelmingly favorable for Ottawa. You've now told Ottawa that, hey, you're not going to pick any worse than three and four. That's it. Uh, you don't have to worry about three teams potentially jumping you in the lottery uh, and, and moving, you know, their picks down. So uh, there's also another team benefiting here. But, you know, that being said, for Detroit, this is a absolute win. I mean, depending on how the league chooses to set up the lottery odds, if they hold them constant and then just apply the rules, like you mentioned, Max, where a team can only move up a max of four slots and a team can only move down a max of one slot, 
then that leaves Detroit with roughly a 57% chance of picking first overall. Uh, if you modify the odds to be more closer to what was done between 2000 and 2012, having to factor in that there's now 31 teams uh, with 15 teams in the lottery instead of 14 teams in the lottery, you're looking at probably a 48% chance for the Red Wings to pick first overall. So, hey, not a bad situation for Red Wings fans to be in right now. I will ask you, uh, if the Red Wings do not, if, if this format comes into play and the Red Wings are not the team that wins it, who would you like to see win the lottery? Which does not necessarily mean get the first pick, because if they're outside of the top uh, five, then that's not possible. But what team would you like to see kind of hit the jackpot if not the Red Wings? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is if you're if you're saying that it, if Detroit's not going to win the lottery, they could, again, still conceivably pick first overall so long as the team outside the top five doesn't uh, – or its team outside the top five does win. So, I mean, hey, maybe maybe give Winnipeg something nice and, and let them win the lottery and move up four slots. Uh, if, if you're talking about a team that's in the top five right now, obviously it's Ottawa, Ottawa, Los Angeles, Anaheim. Of those teams – really don't care for any of them to win, but you'd rather have it be a team that's not in your division. So uh, I think Los Angeles is, is potentially the furthest behind, but I also think Anaheim would be the most likely to screw it up. So I would I would take Anaheim to win that if, if Detroit's not going to win the lottery. But they'd actually get the number one pick then. Like you could have picked like uh, Nashville or something. They, they'd jump some people and, and then, or, or, you know, Arizona. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, they would jump and, all the divisional teams. Yeah, and, and the perfect example, I mean, you know, Winnipeg's a, a team, uh, Arizona's another team that, you know, if Arizona wins and they move up four spots, they jump Buffalo and Montreal, which is, uh, you know, big for Detroit within the division. I think right now Detroit's so far behind everybody else that you're uh, that you're not really worried about what everyone's doing in your division at this point, so long as they're not landing the first overall pick. So I think if I'm if I'm picking a team that I would like to see win, just you know, for pure hey, they need something to go right, give it to Winnipeg or Minnesota. Um, but if you're looking for a team that's going to maybe optimize your uh, your standpoint while also pushing down divisional rivals and maybe it's Arizona. Yeah. Well, on that same note, uh, I saw you going off a little about this on Twitter yesterday. I think you and I are in total agreement about this, but just so we have it all out there, is there any doubt in your mind that if the Red Wings have the second pick in the draft, that they should use it on Quentin Byfield? He's been kind of the consensus number two guy, basically wire to wire, though I know in kind of some recent rankings, Tim Stutzel has been uh, getting some noise by, by some various prospered experts. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting phenomenon, and I think – you know, part of this is we're sitting here with no hockey for more than a month now. We're going almost on two months since the NHL stoppage on March 10th. Uh, people are getting bored. And so we have to have some conversations and some discussions. And it's a really interesting thing. But I think Detroit fans have overcorrected um, after the success of Moritz Sider. I think if we remember back to when... Uh, you know, Steve Eiserman walks up there on the 2019 draft and calls out Moritz Sider. I think the initial reaction was shock. I think a lot of people were really disappointed with guys like Trevor Zegras, Cole Caulfield, Dylan Cousins, still all on the board, still guys that, uh, you know, potentially would fill big holes up front for Detroit. And even if you were to redraft that draft, there's, you know, you're still likely slotting Zegras maybe ahead of, of Moritz Sider. Uh, at this point. And so, you know, you can't necessarily say that that was a perfect pick, but Sider had a great year. He had a great year in the AHL and he had 
Uh, you know, he looks really smooth and he looks like he's going to be a, a great defenseman for the Detroit Red Wings. And so I think there's been this massive overcorrection to the prospects of these German players that are over there, particularly Stutzla, who's playing for Mannheim, where, where Sider played last year. You know, obviously the stories have come out throughout the year that, you know, Sider knows Stutzla and, and we all have seen a lot of the highlight film of, of Stutzla just dangling players in this pro league. And I think we still have to remember that overall the DEL, while it's a professional league, is not that strong of a league um, relative to some of the other top European leagues. Like you could arguably still say the Czech league is stronger. You could uh, arguably say that, uh, you know, the NLA in Switzerland is still up there. Um, and that's where Austin Matthews played his draft year. Um, and then there are other, you know, leagues obviously still like the SHL and, and uh, Liga in Finland that are still stronger leagues. And then we haven't even talked about the KHL over in, in Russia. And so we have to remember like, the DEL is still not that strong of a pro league relative to some of the other ones. Yes, Moritz Sider had a great year, um, but we can't overcorrect too much. And, and that's not even saying anything about Quentin Byfield, who I think is an absolutely phenomenal talent. I think people have to remember that he's uh, three weeks away from being in the 2021 draft class. Uh, he is that late of a birthday, and the the birthday thing is really important, and I'll, I'll kind of touch on that in a second. But uh, setting the birthday thing aside, I mean, you're talking about a six foot four, two hundred and fifteen pound center that skates really, really well, has a great shot, great instincts, played on a bad Sudbury team, uh, and still was very prolific. And and there's just not a lot of those kinds of players that come along. And, and so it's really important not to discount how good Quentin Byfield is and to not overcorrect for this, uh, the prospects of the, the German players simply because Moritz Sider came over looking really polished. Yeah, I, I agree. And I don't know if, if it's specifically the German thing, or I, I do think there's something to kind of the fact that he, he played against pros. And, you know, I, I've, I've said on here before, there is a part of me that thinks that that does kind of help cut down on some uncertainty, but you can't fall in love with it. He's still not, he's still not playing in the NHL. There's always uncertainty in that. And I think Tim Stutzel looks like a great player. Uh, but when you look at the overall package of Quinton Byfield, I actually can't figure out what's one thing not necessarily that you would have a question about because with all prospects, there are questions, but what's one thing you could be down on? You're talking about the full physical package. You're talking about the skating, the skills, the production. The only thing that I can possibly think of is how he played at the world juniors, which is a very large stage. But even that, like Elias Pettersson in his draft year, uh, I believe he had one point in like six games at the world juniors. So I would just not be that worried about the one tournament when everything else seems to check every box for Quentin Byfield. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly where I'm at right now. And, and you have to also remember that with Quentin Byfield, again, this was his first time in the world junior championships. And I think a lot of people are utilizing uh, you know, his performance where he, he sort of struggled and was a little bit invisible, um, you know, and again, that was a really good Canadian team, obviously a gold medal team. Uh, right. And then in, in contrast, you have the guy who's right ahead of him at first overall, Alexi Lafreniere having an, basically an outstanding World Juniors. But again, you know, it's important to remember that Lafreniere is almost an entire year older. Lafreniere is an October birthday, Byfield an August birthday. 
Uh, and that makes a huge difference. And Lafreniere actually went to the World Juniors the year prior, and he had one point. And so it's it's really important that we don't overstate, uh, you know, that World Juniors performance and don't use it too much. Yes, it came against, you know, players that are in his draft class, and, and yes, that matters, but I think it doesn't matter to the same extent that everyone is is kind of calling it out to be. Yeah, I would agree. But let's get into the age stuff, though, because I think that's something I, I know you saw, you put a, a graph on Twitter uh, earlier about this. And I mean, I, I think it's an interesting subject. It's something that I am constantly trying to figure out if I overvalue or uh, maybe even don't value enough, uh, because I think age matters quite a bit. Yeah. And so uh, for a lot of people who aren't familiar with kind of how the Canadian uh, minor league system works, uh, so for all the all the leagues basically leading up to the the OHL and uh, QMJHL and the WHL, uh, the cutoffs to play in those leagues is usually a January birthday. So what that means is is the players that are you know with those January February March birthdays tend to be the the older players, um, and as the year kind of flips you know, you, you lose, uh, you know, basically you now have those younger players moving in. And so now you fast forward into the CHL. And when we're talking about draft eligible players, remember you have to be born on or before uh, September 15th. And so basically you have to be 18 years of age by that time at the, in your draft year for that to be your draft year. So Quentin Byfield turns 18. Uh, I believe it's August 19th. Uh, so he will just make that cutoff of being 18 by September 15th by about three weeks. Alexi Lafreniere is going to be that uh, that uh, in October. So he's already 18 at this point. So what that effectively means is when you're looking at the players in their draft eligible year that have those birthdays between September 16th and December 31st, uh, what those players effectively are, those are players that are have basically a year older than the other players that are going to be draft eligible in the same year. And they've thus progressed up leagues basically at a one year faster pace than those other players. And so in all likelihood, those are players that are more physically developed, have been maybe playing against a little bit higher competition. And as a result, tend to score a little bit better. So when we're looking at guys born, you know, between September 16th and December 31st, we have to remember that those are players that advanced at a faster rate, just simply given to their birthdays, uh, because the guys that were born between January and September 15th of that year were taken in the prior draft. So now these are the oldest players remaining from that birth year or that draft development year that are now left to be draft eligible the following year. And so when you're looking at scoring for those players, it's really interesting. I've been kind of tinkering with some some scoring adjustments and basically players born between January and August, or I should say January and September 15th of their draft year, not really a whole lot of a relationship between birth month and their scoring production from a points per game standpoint. Compare that to the players born between September 16th and December 31st, and you see a massive spike in scoring production simply as a part of their birth month. And that's all basically relating back to the fact that they are one year ahead in their development cycle. 
And so it's important to adjust those back. And so when you're then taking a guy like Quentin Byfield, who is August, the very end of that spectrum, and you're looking at him against guys like Marco Rossi, who is a September birthday. Um, so he's one of the oldest players in this draft. Jack Quinn's one of the oldest players in this draft. Alexi Lafreniere is an October birthday. These are guys who are developmentally one year ahead of Quentin Byfield. And so I think that's that that can't be overstated enough. And when you're making those adjustments for these CHL players, and again, this is strictly confined to the CHL because this is how Canada's minor league system is set up. This this effect really isn't uh, in existence to the same degree in the European junior leagues. Uh, I think it really kind of illustrates how impactful Quentin Byfield's performance is because as one of the youngest players in this draft, he still scored at a rate that was uh, the 12th best rate in in the last 20 years in the OHL. What I personally will feel liberated by if this comes to fruition is that I think you and I actually have some substantive disagreements about the order of guys going maybe three through five or six. And if it falls this way, then even before the lottery, I think you and I are going to be in unanimous agreement that if the Red Wings pick have the first pick, they should take Alexi Lafreniere. And if they pick second, they should take Quentin Byfield. Yeah, I mean, we may disagree on who's going in the rest of the way, but one and two, without a doubt, is, you know, for me, Lafreniere and, and, and Byfield. And we had Scott Wheeler on on the last episode who said the same thing, that, you know, while there is a gap still between Lafreniere and Byfield, it's still clearly Byfield at two. So I do wonder if part of the reason that, that people seem kind of married to these alternative ideas is because in the run-up to these drafts, you know, fans, rightfully so, I think, steal themselves to have the fourth pick because they don't want to get their, their hearts broken. They don't want to get their hopes up, all that stuff. So then they get really excited about the guys they're going to get at three and four, and they start to, to talk themselves into this. Like, oh, man, like they could get this guy. And then look at the storylines it could be. Think about this team. Imagine this. Let's give them kind of a – a daydream, I guess, to have about what a Red Wings team with Quentin Byfield looks like. Do you want to start? Yeah, I mean, I think a Red Wings team with Quentin Byfield is he's arguably uh, challenging for your number one line center, I think, within the next three years. And you're potentially seeing that allow you to push Dylan Larkin down to the second line. And so if you put Quentin Byfield on your top line as a six foot four, 220 pound center who right now stylistically is drawing comparisons to Evgeny Malkin. Uh, you now have a dynamic one-two punch down the middle with a big pivot uh, in, in Byfield. You've now got the wingers to flank him with where you're going to look at the development of Philip Zadina. You're hoping a guy like Jonathan Bergeron can come along. Um, you know, you've got guys like Anthony Mantha. I mean, imagine being able to trot out, uh, you know, a, line, a top line of Philip Zadina, Quentin Byfield, and Anthony Mantha. I mean, you've got a guy in Byfield who's got a great shot, great skating ability. Mantha's a great skater at his size, but that's six foot four and six foot five right there on your top line. And these are guys who can absolutely skate and possess the puck to a great length. Uh, and then you've got a sniper on that line to finish also in, in Philip Zadina. Or you move Zadina down, you let him play with uh, Larkin, and you, you have Tyler Bertuzzi maybe play up on the top line or you have him play on that second line. And, and that's still not even factoring in the development of some of these other guys, like, like a burger and like a master Simone and, and Hey, even who the wings draft in the second round this year, you may see that come as well. So I think immediately Byfield gives you a legitimate prospect who could be a number one overall center for a long time and be a dominant one. 
Yeah, and even just like from a from a chemistry standpoint, right? The things that the Red Wings need that they lack right now are, like you said, a, a center to go in the top six with Dylan Larkin. Uh, ideally, someone who's going to be at least as good as Dylan Larkin, because if you're going to win a championship, you got to have two of those guys, right? Um, they need a guy who's going to be a dominant scorer, and I think Byfield can do that with his with by himself, or he can do it by setting other guys up. So I think he's a really. I think ultimately he projects to be an ideal type of center for someone like Philip Zadina. But um, just look at what it would be down the line to face the Red Wings. It's going to be in some order, Larkin, if, if they got Quentin Byfield, Larkin, Byfield, Valeno, and then either Rasmussen or Rasmussen or Valeno or, or Rasmussen, I guess, could go on the, the third line and Valeno flexes to the wing. But one of those guys, either all those, either those are your four centers or one of those guys is moving out to the wing to be a perfectly respectable top nine winger. Um, that's really tough to play against. In that, just in that composition, you're looking at a high-end offensive player potentially, uh, a, an outstanding two-way player, and a true two-way. Like I'm not using two-way in the sense to mean defense. I'm, Dylan Larkin is great at both ends of the ice. Valeno, who I think is going to be kind of a, a, a light version of, of that same mold, where I think you know he, he's probably going to play in more of that. Um, you know, I think he's going to score some points. I think you're going to see him probably around 40, but. Um, a guy who I think you can put out there in, in tough matchups and who's going to be able to play uh, on, on your penalty kill too. And then if it's Michael Rasmussen, then that's, I think, a shutdown defensive center. And if it's someone like Chase Pearson, then I think, or, or I guess down the line, maybe maybe it's not Pearson by then, but you know, another of those type, you know, pick pick your guy in that mold, whether it's Luke Lindenning or whatever, somebody in that mold as your, as your true kind of checking line guy, or maybe they're even able to get someone with more offense by then. Like, I think that just makes you an incredibly tough team to match up with, never mind in the regular season, but in the playoffs with that blend. Yeah, I mean, I you just can't overstate it enough. And and you know, when you when even when you dig into the stats a little bit more on Byfield, it's just he's he's truly an exceptional player. Uh if you so there's a couple of things we can do with OHL data and really with CHL data in general. And one thing we can do is actually estimate ice time based on uh the number of events a player's on the ice for. And so Estimating Byfield's ice time, he played about 20, 21 minutes a night uh, for his Sudbury team. And so using that, the guy averaged 4.5 primary points per 60 minutes. Uh, And that's the best mark of any draft eligible player in this year's draft. Second is Seth Jarvis. Third is Emil Heineman. Fourth is Marco Rossi. Fifth, Perfetti. And then sixth, Lafreniere at four points for 60 minutes, but that's, that's only the scoring piece. When you go and look at Byfield's Sudbury team. And again, I want to make sure I, I state this enough. The Sudbury team was not a very good team with Byfield on the ice at even strength. His team scored 65 goals and they gave up only 39. That's an even strength goals for percentage of 62 and a half percent. When Byfield was not on the ice, his team scored 80 goals, but gave up 89. And so ultimately, that means relative to his teammates, he was plus 15% uh, in the goals for department. Now, goals for isn't a a perfect stat. When we get to the NHL level, we don't like to use it because it takes large samples, full season samples to really show up um, and be super impactful. But that is a massive, uh, massive impact for a player as young as Byfield showing you that he is doing all of the components really, really well. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I don't want to take anything away from those other guys who are going to, you know, who are going to challenge, I guess, for that. Like, I, I do think Stutzel is an outstanding player. His skating is is great. He's like you said, he's got those skill plays. And I do think it means something to see him do it against men. I just think when you look at the going forward projection, um, I think people are overlooking how tantalizing a prospect Byfield is in his own right. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And again, there's been numerous attempts to really kind of compare league strength, um, you know, a, across the board. I, you know, the, the DEL is a little bit better um, than the OHL when we're talking about levels. But that being said, you know, Byfield's performance in the OHL was outstanding. Stutzla's performance in the DH, DEL is is outstanding. It's, it's hard to completely compare those two. And again, Stutzla is doing something we haven't really seen in the DEL before because not a lot of players have really come from there to give us an accurate sense of how good that league truly is. I mean, we're talking about guys like Marcel Gotch and, and Jochen Hecht are the play, the NHLers that we're really basing a lot of that off of. So uh, it's still hard to say, even though it's a league of men and professional leagues, how good that league really is. And we just don't know. And I think a lot of that is simply based on how well Moritz Sider translated when really we should be a little bit more reined in on that projection, that presumption. And again, the other thing about Stutzel is a lot of people have talked about him as a center versus a winger. Uh, it's important to note, he didn't really play center this year, took zero faceoffs the entire season. Uh, so he may translate better as a left winger. You may see a team try to put him at center, um, but he may again come down to being more of a winger. And, and, and again, the relative importance of center versus wing I think that ultimately steers you to where it has to be byfield at too. My understanding of the positional thing with Stutzel is that he's kind of a natural center, but was put on the wing, like kind of as he transitioned to pro. And I think you know, that's not an uncommon approach for teams. Even in the NHL teams will do that with guys they view as centers. They'll start them on the wing, but it's a good point. Like, like at some point when you're going to draft a guy to be a, a, if you're drafting that high, you want to be drafting a franchise you know, player at that position. And, you know, if you're hoping to get a guy as a center there, you know, there, maybe there's something to be said for kind of the, the, the confidence in, in that that's their true position. I, I will say, I do think though, that everything I've heard suggests that that is Stutzla's natural uh, position. One, one thing I was thinking about with Byfield is because of, of the age, and it's obviously a subject we've talked about a lot already today, if he were a month younger, he would be in next year's draft class. I think he would at that point, have the level of hype where next year, you know, based on what we know about next year's draft, not that it's going to be a down draft. I think there's a lot of great defensemen in that draft and Aturati, uh, obviously uh, kind of the headliner right now, but I think it's possible that based on Byfield's production this year, if he were simply one month younger, he would have kind of Lafreniere level, um, you know, hype for next year's draft. Yeah, I completely agree. Like he'd be right there with, you know, Aturati, with Chaz Lucius. Um, I mean, next year is going to have some good players. Owen Power, who's going to be at Michigan uh, yep. next Lambert, year. Lucius. Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's a lot of great players. And I mean, we shouldn't, we could probably do an entire episode on how good Michigan's going to be next year with their incoming class. But we uh, sure could. Setting that aside, I, I think Byfield would be you know, getting that same type of hype um, as Lafreniere is this year because he is that good. And, and again, people try to point out that he disappears against good teams. That's not really the case. It's points per game versus the top teams versus uh, compared to his points per game against the bottom teams was relatively similar. 
Um, I think a difference of like 0.3 points per game. Uh, you know, he went no more than two games without recording a point this year to kind of demonstrate that consistency. So I'm not really sure where all of these are coming from. I think he would have that level of hype and would be, you know, right there being talked about as a slam dunk first overall pick. Yep, absolutely. If you're bored in the house, why not spend some time on yourself? Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving thanks to their lawnmower 3.0. This third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Shaving is about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. Inside the perfect package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. Subscribe to the perfect package and get a new replacement blade refilled for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped boxer briefs. So go to manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC. All right, is there anything else you want to talk about today on the draft subject or anything else before we uh, start getting into the questions? No, let's, uh, let's do the questions. All right, absolutely. So the first one comes from uh, Stephen Schmitz. He says, how likely uh, are we to see the likes of Chalowski, Sider, Valeno, and this year's first-round pick as regular contributors next season? And who are your picks at one or two in the draft? I think we answered that one already. Yeah, so we, we definitely answered who we're picking at one and two in the draft. As far as kind of contributions from from Sider and Chalowski, I think, I think it's tough to project Chalowski at this point. I think, will he be on the NHL roster? I think the answer is certainly yes, given the number of uh, openings that you're going to have with with guys like Jonathan Erickson, Trevor Daly, uh, you know, what the Red Wings decided to do with Madison Bowery. I think that still remains to be seen. Um, and then uh, obviously Cody Gulabeff, uh, who was picked up at the trade deadlines, he's not going to be back. Uh, you know, there's going to be an opportunity for Chalowski. And I think in in true fashion, the Wings are going to give him the same opportunity they've given him, they've given him each of the last two years, which is, Here's some time on the power play. Here's, you know, 17 minutes a night and let's see what you can do. We want to make sure you're playing responsible in your defensive zone. You're still moving the puck up offensively. Um, and you're thinking about that. I think maybe one thing Detroit could try to do to get a little bit more out of them is, is instead of uh, pairing him with, you know, guys like Trevor Daly and Jonathan Erickson, where I think he's really struggled to a certain extent, maybe give him, a safe board in a Patrick Nemeth or a, or, um, you know, a Danny DeKaiser and, and see if, if he can be a little bit more successful with a stay at home guy uh, next to him. That being said, you know, I still don't know that he's going to be a full-time NHL or I think he'll still bounce back and forth a little bit. And I think part of that's going to be because more Sider is going to come in and, and lock down a spot. I think Sider by the end of the year, I think I've said this on a prior episode, will lead the Red Wings in, in ice time um, among the defensemen or be getting 22, 23 minutes a night. Cause I just think he can play every situation and, and he's going to be a guy that's going to just be all over the ice. I think, you know, think back to Chris Tanev in, in Vancouver, uh, maybe eight, eight, seven, eight years ago where he was just a pure shutdown defenseman could move the puck up chipped in, you know, 20, 25 points for you. But 
uh, more importantly, he was very tough to play against. Yeah, on the on the ones like Chalowski, I think there's still a lot of a lot to be decided this offseason. I mean, as is, he's going to be no higher than third on the left side depth chart, right behind Dana DeKaiser and Nemeth, assuming no injuries. Um, but they could also bring in a free agent. You don't know what could happen there, um, or they could decide that you know, like like there's going to be. Uh, let's see, who do they have on the left side coming back? Is it just those two? I think it is. Yeah, I think it's just those two for now. So right now he's kind of projecting into that spot to be a regular contributor. And, I, you know, you you would think that he's probably ready by now. Um, I think that's certainly possible. And I think if he's on the team, he's going to be a contributor for sure. Like he, he's a smart offensive player. He does a couple of things particularly well. Um, obviously, there's still some questions to be answered. So I, I think I would lean yes there. But if they if they go sign a veteran, if they go sign – uh, someone to to bring in on that side, then maybe he's waiting for an injury to kind of get that chance or, or something else to happen. Um, Valeno, I would say probably not a regular contributor. I think he sees time, but my guess is he's going to spend more of that time in the AHL. Now, obviously that depends on what the situation in the AHL is next year though. Like who knows what, what's going to happen in all these leagues next year and, and what the timing is going to be. It's very interesting to, to, you know, especially for a guy like that who, who could, I think, you know, I think you could plausibly see him in the NHL, but I think it's probably more likely that he plays uh, in the AHL for most of the year, just in a vacuum. This year's first round pick, I think, you know, I think probably, I don't know about right contributor. I think they'll be there. I don't know how much of an impact. We saw, you know, Capo Caco and Jack Hughes this year struggle to make, uh, struggle to make really strong impacts. And then Cider, I would agree, is like a 90%, uh, 90% yes on that one. Yeah, I, I completely agree about Valeno, and I think it'll be challenging to to project him just because, again, you know, we still don't know who the Wings are going to pick out of the draft. You still don't know um, what's going to really come of, uh, you know, Matthias Bromi, who the Wings just signed, if he's going to end up going to the league and if they're going to end up pushing guys, um, you know, further back. I do think Valeno gets some some ice time in the NHL. I just don't see him as a meaningful contributor. I do think whoever the Wings pick in the draft, if they end up with first or second, uh, has a legitimate chance. Byfield may not stick. Uh, he may get his nine games and go back to the OHL, uh, which, again, uh, remains to be seen of how impactful that will be for him. But And then, obviously, if you have Lafreniere, I think he's going to come right out of the gate and contribute. Yep, I think that's fair. Okay, Adam Flett says, with Bratstrom signed, Victor Bratstrom, uh, goalie, he signed, in, uh, signed a contract with the Red Wings and ELC. Um just less last week. We don't know yet if where he's going to be playing for next year. I, I believe the rumor was kind of that he had been set to play um, in the is it in the Finnish league next year in Liga. Yeah, I believe that's the case because uh, that's where yeah with Cuckoo. Yeah, so I think that's where he'll be for next year because well, that think would he's be there a loan situation. Right. Yeah, I think yeah. he's there on a loan right now. But nonetheless, Adam says, "What are the top? Who are, who are the top three goalie prospects currently in the Red Wing system? What free agent would you target this summer?" Yeah, I mean, goalie prospects are tough. I don't know a whole lot about Bratstrom to really like be able to place him. He's obviously a very big goaltender. He's, he's twenty three. He fits the mold of you know what I uh, you know would want in the goalie. I mean, he's looking quite good in, in the sense that he's progressing. He, he seems to be making decent stats. I'd probably put him at third right now. Um, you know, you can make an argument for Carter Guylander as well, who I think had a really good uh, uh, season this past year. And then I think second for me is Philip Larson, who really struggled in the AHL this year. 
um, and then ultimately had to get sent down to the ECHL. I think it'll be interesting to see if he can find his game. I think he lost a little bit of confidence and that really uh, hurt him. But the, for me, the top guy right now is Keith Petruzzelli. And I think he's, he's really the guy that I think can continue to make strides. I think he'll push for a spot in the AHL, if not landing in the ECHL for next year, assuming he signs his entry level contract and, um, which I think both you and I sort of expect that that'll happen as this is typically the time frame for, um, you know, those guys to, to do that. Um, now, as far as free agents, though, I think it's so tough to, to see. They're definitely not going to go after a big-name guy, or I wouldn't want them to go after a, a big-name goalie. But, I mean, Max, are there any goalies that really jump out to you? Um, I mean I- – I think the ones who jump out are probably the ones most likely to get re-signed. You've already seen Yaroslav Halak re-up, uh, Pavel Frensos earlier in the season. I mean, I think Hudobin would be a great add, but I think he's probably going to be one of the hardest ones to pull. So I think ultimately you're probably looking at kind of that Thomas Grice, Cam Talbot um, type of, of player, and I think either of those guys would be a nice signing. Yeah, I mean, I think Grice has very quietly been – good in the last five, six years of his career. I think it, it does extend beyond uh, just Barry Trotz's influence, which is right. something that you have to sort out. Um, you know, so really any of them is fine. I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, you're, you're just looking for some goalie to step in. It, it's another stretch year. You're not really um, trying to find a long-term goalie solution right now. Yeah, and that's the reason that I don't mention Robin Leonard's name. I, I think that, you know, he's the name that always comes up from fans when when we're talking about the Red Wings goalie situation. Uh, it just everything I've read makes it seem like Leonard's going to want something long term and that's just not necessarily the position the Red Wings are in to be to be signing a long-term goalie right now. No, and you know my feelings on goalies, you should never sure. sign goalies long term because as soon as you sign a goalie long term, you've instantly made a massive mistake. Look at the Carey Price, Jonathan Quick, Sergei Bobrovsky contracts. They've all been very bad very quickly. All of them have a number of years left. That is the that is a rookie mistake. Do not do it. Yep, yep. All right, moving on. We got one from David Jackson. What youngster drafted by the Red Wings in the last three drafts, not counting the one about to happen, is most likely to become a big NHL star? I assume we're both going to say more insider here. So should we eliminate the first round picks from this conversation to make it a little more interesting? Yeah, I, I think you have to eliminate more insider because he's the one that you know makes the most sense. As, let's just as let's just the first rounders off the table. We'll we'll answer the question more insider. I don't. I think we've we've talked plenty about him on the show and why we both think he's he's kind of their best prospect. Let's go. Like, who's the guy who you think drafted outside the first round? Who's got the best shot? acknowledging that it's probably a minute one at becoming an actual star. Well, I think prior to his injury, the guy I would have pegged would have been Jonathan Berggren because I think he has the most skill to be able to do that second round pick in the 2018 draft. I think he's the guy I would have suggested, but taking him off the list because I think with his injury history, I'm a little nervous. Um, I think the guy I'm going to go after here is, is Albert Johansson. Uh, second round pick from from last year I think he really made great strides this past year he took a huge step over the last few weeks of the uh, regular season in the SHL I think he's looking more and more polished very smooth skating defenseman I think he's a guy who you know could come over and translate and see a lot of the skills that he has really translate over 
I think that's a, that's a savvy answer. I'm going to go with another one of this most recent draft classes, second round picks, uh, and another defenseman, an anti Tuomisto. Now, I think there's also certainly in both of those cases, both Johansson and Tuomisto, the chance that they're not really impact players. But I think one thing that Tuomisto has that that gives him kind of a shot at that upper tier is is a really big shot. And from a defenseman, you know, when you see those offensive defensemen who can rack up you know, 50, 60 points. I'm not saying Tuomisto can like is going to do that or even that I'm predicting he'll do that. Um, I'm just saying if you look at the, the the package there, that's a player who I think if everything, everything goes right to, it's like absolute peak. He, he's the guy that could kind of have some of that to him. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think Tuomisto's just been very difficult to project. 100%. Like what you and I have, have kind of talked about on previous episodes. He was playing in a league that was – not really suited for him. He was better than that league. He should have naturally moved up to another league, but because he wanted to maintain his eligibility to go to the NCAA, uh, he had to, you know, stay in the Finnish junior league, which is not a normal situation for uh, guys of his nature. So that just makes him all the more difficult to project. I think he's got a lot of the tools, like you said, but, you know, we'll see what he looks like at the university of Denver next year. And I will agree that Bergeron is kind of the, the answer in a pure sense of like, you know, that's a really skilled player who if everything clicks for him, he, he's going to be a, a really interesting guy. But I think the injuries have kind of, um, they haven't, you know, tampered or uh, hampered the upside at all. It's just maybe a little bit of the, um, you know, the, the confidence that he's going to play in the NHL just because the durability concerns. Um, this last one is from Dave Hastings, who says hearing the, or he's asking about the AHL season. Uh, and he wants to know if the AHL does not finish their season, could the Red Wings pull up their top prospects and have them play in any regular season games the Red Wings play? Obviously, there's a question of if the NHL is going to finish its season if the AHL doesn't finish its season. Uh, but that said, if that happens, then yes, the Red Wings could do that. Uh, the question is, which situations would they be would they be willing to burn the entry level contracts to do it on? I think we agree that should be a no brainer for more cider. Are there any others who you would burn the entry level for? No, I mean, I think Cider is definitely the one, you know, to to burn it on. I think the other thing, um, you know, that you have to think about is if the recall rule is still going to be in place, like the post-trade deadline where you can exercise, I believe it's four recalls um, after the trade deadline in between then and the, and the playoffs – so if you're only limited to four, I mean, certainly you could pull up a handful of people, but uh, what the wings, you may not be able to rotate in different guys. So I think whoever you call up, you're likely stuck with um, in that sense. But I think Satter's the only guy I would burn. And then other than that, I mean, I would call up guys like Chase Pearson and, and you know, give him a shot, see what he's got. I think you could bring Joe Valeno up, but maybe he's a guy who you don't go with a full 10 games for. Yeah, I mean, you could bring him up and then send him down. It's just being able to replace him if you're going to be limited to uh, four recalls is uh, is tricky. I think that rule will have to get clarified. It'll be interesting. I mean, I think for a team in the Red Wings position, if they if they make them go back and play regular season games, I think you almost have to use that for some kind of prospect development, just because it's going to you know you're going to really bring back some of these players and make them play. Uh, you know, nine games when they've been mathematically eliminated from the playoffs for months already. It just doesn't, I, I think you almost got to do it with young guys just so that there's, you, you see that same level of fire, right? I mean that, and also you avoid injuries in some of the yeah. older guys. Uh, you, the last thing you want is to, 
to have a major injury for one of your veteran players who, uh, you know, for whatever reason, they're, they're just not able to spring back from game to game without having that training camp and off season to really keep working out. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, hopefully by the next time we talk to all you guys, uh, there will be some clarity on what is happening with the draft and uh, maybe good news if you're a Red Wings fan, which if you're listening to this, I would imagine you are. Um, that is going to do it for us. Make sure that uh, – I don't know if I've told you guys this yet. There's a, there's an ability to comment now on podcast episodes. So if you have a question or you want to give any feedback, uh, if you're listening in the Athletic app, there is a, now a, a space for you to leave comments below. We'd love to hear from you. We always love hearing from you. And so we will talk to you again. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.